Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting laws and regulations accordingly. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Wayne Paselli and Marty Irby are usually with me. Wayne is with me today. Wayne is the president and founder of Animal Wellness Action. So we're super happy to have him and we'll introduce our other special guest momentarily. Uh, this is kind of a special show for me because it, it hits close to, I think, the hearts of just about everyone in the country and maybe across the world. And the subject is the violence that occurred last week in Texas, uh, the funerals resulting from which are beginning to occur uh, in great numbers this week. And that topic is the connection between animal abuse and human violence. In a previous life, I was an advocate for children through an organization called CASA, uh, Court-Appointed Special Advocates. And we learned in that organization that children who abuse animals go on to oftentimes hurt adults. And we are finding that to once again be the case as we look at these recent shootings. Teenage gunman Peyton Gendron, for example, arrested for shooting 13 people, killing 10 of them in Buffalo. Uh, recently stabbed and decapitated a feral cat back in March. Salvador Ramos, the 18-year-old who massacred 19 children and two teachers in Texas, uh, boasted about torturing animals and even aired some of his acts of animal abuse on the French live streaming platform, Yubo. Uh, back in 2018, a study by the Massachusetts Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and Northeastern University found that about 43% of school shooters between 1988 and 2012, had histories of animal abuse. The majority of those histories include close-up and personal violence against neighborhood companion animals, such as dogs and cats. Uh, the numbers go on. Uh, Wayne Paselli recently posted, yesterday posted, what I think is a very powerful blog on the topic, and our guest today uh, is well-versed in this sad subject as well. Uh, that guest is Steve Dale. He is a certified animal behavior consultant who has reached pet owners over the past few decades, more so than any other journalist in America. He is the host of two nationally syndicated radio shows, Steve Dale's Pet World and The Pet Minute. He's also a special contributor at WGN Radio Chicago and uh, program host of Steve Dale's Pet World and Steve Dale's Other World. He's a columnist for the National Association of Veterinarian Technicians in America and a chief correspondent at Fear Free Happy Homes. Steve, thank you for joining us. I, I really appreciate that you're a busy guy, you're, you're in demand, and that you took time out means a lot to us. I want to start with Wayne, though. Wayne, you and I began to have this conversation about your blog post last week and figured it was a good time to talk about this red flag that is animal abuse as it leads up to human violence. What did you learn in writing that piece that surprised you? Joseph, I'm glad to be with you and, uh, and very, very glad to be with my longtime friend uh, and animal advocate, Steve Dale. You know, when I learned about the shootings, I just made the assumption that these people who perpetrated these acts of horrendous violence would have had an animal cruelty background. And I said, you know, whether or not 
they did have that background, I wanted to write about it because I knew so many murderers who preceded them had that background and that there's a correlation that's well established that Steve and I have written about and talked about for many years. The link, as some people refer to it. But then when Steve, who wrote a column about this issue on one of his websites, you know, really drew out the fact that these individuals had these profiles, they had incidents that had been witnessed uh, online, uh, or they had heard conversation um, in the classroom or in the schoolyard where kids were boasting about animal cruelty or displaying images of a, of a cat killed in, in a bag. Uh, this just affirmed for me what I have known throughout my long career, that animal cruelty cannot be seen in isolation. Uh, it is an attack on life. Uh, it is a loss of empathy and caring. It is a numbing of our humanity. And when someone lashes out and starts shooting innocent people, it almost certainly does not arise you know, from a bad morning that they had, that it really reflects kind of a graduated um, uh, program and focus on violence and hurting others. And again, because we don't pay as much attention to animals in our societies, we should, uh, they think they can get away with it when it comes to the cruelty to, to the animals. Steve, from, from your perspective, are the, these individuals practicing on, on the animals? Is this, what is the causal connection, I guess I'm going to ask more succinctly, between animal abuse in your research and human abuse? Uh, what, what is the link in its essence? Well, I, don't, I can't claim to be a psychiatrist, so I don't know the human cause behind it, but I know, I know, I'll say it again, I know there is, we'll use the term, a link. I was on the board of the American Humane Association back in the day uh, when Phil Arkow and colleagues confirmed what they had suspected, uh, that there is this link. Law enforcement greatly understands that. Uh, the question is, if they're not made aware that there's abuse, law enforcement can't follow up. That's the first thing. Secondly, if they are made aware due to a lack of resources, sometimes a lack of awareness, Some, not everyone does seem to know or understand that the law is on the side of the animals in this case. Those laws greatly already exist. The, the next issue is what is abuse? So Wayne sees somebody do something to an animal and says that's abuse. Somebody else sees the same thing happen and says, well, it's not nice, but it's not really abuse. Abuse is not well defined. And the definitions vary from municipality in cases to municipality. Having said that, there, and Wayne can speak about this as well, there are laws, federal laws, that make it a felony. I think we need to strengthen the laws we have. We need to do a better job of communicating to the public that this link does exist. I don't want to talk about the gun issue one way or the other, but I will say here is, and Wayne put it better than I, I can put it. I said, here's a red flag. 
He said, Wayne, what? It's this the reddest story. It's the, yeah, it's the reddest. It's the reddest of red flags. I mean, right. this animal cruelty just screams out at you if a child, a teenager, is engaging in mutilating animals, my God, you ignore that at your peril. You know, here's a kid who went and shot his grandmother, uh, you know, who went up and uh, went to a school and, you know, murdered young children. I mean, this is the point that it's not just on law enforcement, as Steve said, Joseph, you know, we all have a duty and responsibility in law enforcement. The whole judicial system is predicated on citizen awareness and action. You know, citizens are witnesses in trials. They produce evidence. They call in reports and then police or other law enforcement investigate. So in order for this to work, we have to have eyes and ears everywhere in our communities. And I do think that this link between animal cruelty and human violence is increasingly understood in our society. But these incidents are revelatory moments where we then expand the pool of people who are alert and aware and ask them, report, talk to teachers, talk to principals, talk to supermarket owners, talk to others in the community, clearly law enforcement, don't allow someone to commit this act and not report the individual for this because you're, you're, you're just courting risk to other members of our society. And I don't believe necessarily that this ought to be, yes, this is the right thing to do to protect animals and ultimately potentially save human lives. I mean, both of these shooters could have been stopped if authorities, and I don't know, I don't know that anyone knows quite yet, uh, as of the date we're recording this, uh, whether law enforcement was aware of animal abuse or not. But in one of those two instances, the parents were well aware. Students were well aware because they posted on social. So what I hope is that, and I would hope this is bipartisan, if we can get this written out as a potential law, that if I live or someone lives under your roof as a minor or lives under your roof, period, that if you don't report it, you are now held responsible for not reporting it. And, and I don't know what the penalty is, but I, ought, I believe it ought to be significant. If, if your child, whether that child is 21, 18, like both these shooters were, or 14, is doing something very bad to animals, and you don't report this, I'm not sure who to report it to. That's the other issue. Because when it's reported to the Department of Children and Family Services, which every state has, that department, it's not followed up on for months and months and months, if followed up on at all. So we, we've got to fix this. We've got to mandate, in my opinion, that's the right word, reporting of this. But we've also got to figure out a way, okay, now it's reported, something needs to be done quickly. And, and with Steve, action. Yeah, you've got a great point, Steve, because in, in my work with, with CASA, court-appointed special advocates, and working with the Kentucky uh, Child Protective Services, even accusations of, of child abuse themselves would often 
not be able to be investigated. So to foist upon these often strapped state organizations the additional onus of looking into animal abuse sounds like a great idea, but from my experience, one at least in this state, and probably most unlikely to to occur. Um, some some organization certainly ought to, given the data that you and Wayne have both written about and has been written about often before, ought to be take up the charge. And Steve, to your point a minute ago, you brought up the kind of abuse. I mean, the kinds of abuse that uh, uh, Ramos and Gendron are, are known for, this is not, if you will, garden variety animal abuse. This isn't you know, kicking a dog that you pass on the street. This is some really nightmarish stuff, right? Oh, it's worse because it's not only nightmarish stuff, but it's posted. And it's so apparently today it's it's part of the deal where the thrill is not only to abuse the animal, but to post it on a social media platform. So what I'm also hopeful of through legislation that the social media companies, if they're made aware of such a posting at all, take it down instantly without without question, just take it down now. In their terms of service, they already say they do that. The problem is they don't do that. Uh, and the other issue, and I don't have any clue how you get around this, they're posting it in social platforms uh, at times that are not based in America. So I don't believe, I, I'm not a lawyer, happily, but I don't believe that our uh, legislators can control anything that a French social media platform can do or not do necessarily, but we can control the social media platforms in the U.S. better. Uh, and I think we do need to do a better job at it. Yeah. And then there are also websites too. Wayne, you alluded to one in, in your, your column. Uh, and I know that uh, there have been websites, for example, that used to post these crush videos, which uh, were, were used um, uh, to promulgate or publish some, some really heinous acts. Uh, there and you know I know too in terms of bestiality that that people will post videos and even in trade animals. How do we control the dark web, uh, Wayne? How do we ferret these things out? Well, it's not even the dark web. It's the it's the above ground web. You know, when I was leading HSUS, we did an investigation that revealed thousands of these animal crush videos where people who had a prurient interest you know, were, you know, it was typically women stepping on animals and people with a foot fetish were watching this animal cruelty and somehow being kind of, you know, with a blended sexualized and, and animal cruelty experience. I mean, it was just macabre. And we worked to get legislation passed to, to ban the sale of videos depicting illegal acts of animal cruelty. Uh, this bestiality issue. I mean, beastforum.com until it was shut down two years ago had more than a million users. We know that there's a correlation between bestiality and child sexual, sexual exploitation. And more recently at Animal Wellness Action, as Steve knows, because he and I've talked about it on his radio show, uh, we've been looking at cockfighting traffickers. They're making videos openly promoting the sale of animals for fighting purposes where people watch animals hack each other to death for amusement. Now we think of that in a different category and it may be a little bit more normalized than these random acts of cruelty, but it's cruelty nonetheless. And you have people who you know, are, 
are enjoying the experience, sharing the experience, and in some cases profiting from the experience. So I think our laws need to balance our First Amendment concerns. Uh, we don't want to, to stop legitimate speech, but this is not speech. This is commercial action. And the government can place limits on things like horrid displays of animal cruelty. Uh, the free speech doesn't mean you can do anything you want. It means you can speak. It doesn't mean you can, you can torment a dog and then put a video out there and claim that's free speech. That is not free speech. The courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court, have deemed that that can be regulated by the state. And indeed, in many cases, it is. I worked with um, a, a woman at CASA who told an absolutely germane and, and horrific story of a known child abuser. A CASA worker was taking the mother of this abuser to visit her uh, imprisoned son. And the CASA worker asked the woman w whether she was worried that the fellow would begin abusing children again when he got out of jail. And the woman said, that's not a problem anymore. We've bought him a goat for when he gets out. The, the inference being that he would just be able to abuse the goat instead of oh, the child. Of and, and I'll say this, it's, it's a bit extraneous, but just when you think you've heard everything you can hear about the depths of human depravity, I continue to be surprised. And, and Steve, working with animals and talking about them as often as you do, I, I'm sure that's got to be the case for you as well, that there's almost no limit to what people are capable of. I suppose, you know, but having said that, the human-animal bond in this country and throughout much of the world, actually, has never been more intense. Uh, we have more pets in America, companion animals, than we've ever had. Uh, it was increasingly kind of going up, going up a little bit, and then the pandemic hit, and shelters said, and I quote, help, because they didn't know what was to come. They didn't know if they would be able to go to work. If volunteers could go in and walk dogs, feed dogs or cats or scoop litter boxes, uh, and people did foster, many became foster failures. Uh, adoptions went up like this, they skyrocketed. And as a result of that, well, we have a problem now because it seems everyone who wanted a pet got one and the shelters are kind of filling up again for a variety of reasons. That one is probably reason number one. Uh, but no matter, most of us, uh, for example, half the, statistically, half the people who have a dog share their bed with their dog. And more than half the people who have a cat, of course, when I ask where does the cat sleep, the answer is wherever the cat wants to. But more than half the time, that is in the person's bed. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, our, our bond overall is intense. So what we're talking about is a minority sector of the population. But we also know this minority sector of the population you mentioned child abuse, domestic violence also. We know, again, we know there's a link there too, that those who are perpetrators of abuse are more likely to practice, for lack of a better word, on animals first. They do it for all sorts of reasons, I'm told, but mostly control to demonstrate what they can do. People will not leave an abusive situation if they can't take the animal with them. The PAWS Act, which I know Wayne was involved in, uh, makes it more likely 
that shelters, domestic violence shelters, uh, will offer a place for companion animals. But we're woefully low. And, and while it's slowly, slowly increasing, in part because of the PAWS Act, and in part because of the visibility that brings. And, and my hope is, and I believe Wayne agrees, that the number one thing we can do is keep talking about this, talk about that link. But what, in my view, we also need legislation that is strengthened as well. And we need to communicate to law enforcement that this legislation exists, that the law is on their side and they may well get a prosecution. Uh, judges don't even always know necessarily. So uh, while awareness is increasing, which is great, we need to increase that even more. But we also, I think anyway, need to strengthen uh, and maybe direct some new laws that are would be, I hope, bipartisan and totally out of the political realm. And that's a good time. Thank you for that setup. Wanting to segue to you to talk about the ACE Act. Um, that's a key part of your blog, <clears throat> excuse me, and something we want our listeners to know about. Indeed, Joseph. You know, I, I agree with everything that Steve said. We need kind of foundational anti-cruelty statutes that are enforceable, that mete out strong penalties, don't allow people to get away with an act of vicious cruelty and then return to it without the state intervening in some way, either through psychological counseling or incarceration or whatever it may be. I mean, clearly there's a mental health issue in a lot of these cases that needs to be addressed. And incarceration is not the only answer by any stretch. But I think it's also important to have dedicated law enforcement resources. When you think about our law enforcement, the incredible job that they do in so many cases, the vast array of statutes that they exist to enforce. I mean, my God, uh, the, the numbers are staggering, right? I mean, how could law enforcement even know about all these different codes? So much law enforcement is just reacting to a crisis. It's opportunistic. We need dedicated law enforcement to take a strategic approach on animal cruelty, to disband animal fighting rings, to disband uh, websites that are involved in bestiality and the organizers and others. And we need to be able to follow up on tips from the public about acts of malicious cruelty, especially these extreme forms of cruelty that you noted, Joseph, that this is not just your garden variety form of animal harm. It's, there's something intimate, there's something very malicious, uh, there's something that the, the people who perpetrate the acts are proud of. So one existing bill that Animal Wellness Action had formulated with lawmakers is called the Animal Cruelty Enforcement Act. It won't solve all of the problems, but it will create a dedicated federal unit focused on animal cruelty crimes uh, to enforce all of the federal statutes from a prosecutorial perspective. We probably need a parallel uh, provision uh, for investigating cruelty as well, because in any law enforcement circumstance, you need the police to investigate you need the DA or the attorneys to prosecute. At the federal level, you need different law enforcement agencies, whether it's FBI or marshals or USDA's Office of Inspector General or many of the other players, Customs and Immigration Enforcement. But then you need the prosecutors, whether it's United States attorneys or it's uh, main Department of Justice attorneys at 
a very outstanding unit called the Environment and Natural Resources Division within the Department of Justice. That's the group that now focuses on animal cruelty. And we they have 10 different sections devoted to different categories of, of the law, environmental crimes, Indian affairs. We're asking for an animal cruelty crimes section to be created, not to diminish the intersectional work that they do. And a lot of the prosecutors work with prosecutors in different domains, and they work with law enforcement uh, throughout the country but to have some brains that are full-time on the task so that we can prevent this sort of cruelty and we can disband these organized efforts to perpetrate acts of animal cruelty. So we really want everybody listening to contact your two U.S. senators, your U.S. representative, urge them to co-sponsor the Animal Cruelty Enforcement Act as one important step. This is not going to be solved with one statute, I can assure you. Uh, and the law alone will be insufficient, even if we had a perfect legal circumstance and proper funding of our law enforcement agencies. It's going to depend on all of us. We need to be eyes and ears, uh, especially now with social media. You know, you see a lot of stuff. Uh, people uh, who, who are doing this are not always trying to be clandestine about it. So report it and let's figure out pathways to get that information acted upon, as Steve indicated earlier in the show. Listeners can go to animalwellnessaction.org, find Wayne's piece under the blog section or in that section, reddest of red flags. If you go to that column, uh, you'll be able to click a link and immediately uh, be able to send an email and contact your legislators. You don't have to look anything up. You don't have to know any addresses, any phone numbers. You can just go to Wayne's blog and we've made it super easy for you to do this advocacy. Uh, Steve, I'll turn it over to you for any final thoughts. I mean, it's hard not to get emotional when you turn on the TV and you see the pure hate that was motivated in Buffalo. And then just a week later, turn on the TV again and see innocent children mowed down. But knowing this could have been, and many other shootings like it, could have been avoided. Because as, as Wayne so eloquently said, it is the reddest of red flags. And if we had gotten to those people, intervened, it wouldn't have happened. And lives, all those lives, of those two shootings, and again, I emphasize, so many others like it, could have been and would have been avoided. Steve, thanks. Is, um, what's a preferred way for people to follow you? Do you have a website you'd like to share where people can keep up with your content and see what you're up to? Sure. So I've got news. I'll break news. And you guys are going to be so excited jumping up and down to hear this news because I know you are number one on TikTok and, and follow TikTok pages. Is that what they call them? Intimately well. So I have a new, you saw just a little bit of our kitten named Groucho. And uh, Groucho now, it's Groucho underscore the cat on TikTok. And it's Groucho's experience. I've already taught, I've not, I've not shown this yet on TikTok, but Groucho, I've already taught him, our, you'll be amazed a cat to come when called. Woo! And, and also taught Groucho to sit. We'll see Groucho's first veterinary visit. 
we're, we're going to take, we're crazy people who will take Groucho art out on a leash and harness and in one of those kitty strollers. All of that will be seen and much more on this exciting TikTok page. To follow me for serious stories as well as uh, just news and information, some of it fun, some of it more serious like we're, what we're talking about, it's stevedale.tv. Yeah. Steve, are you sure you don't really just have a dog and maybe the dog looks like a cat? I don't <laughs> no, think that's we a cat. We do have a dog too. So uh, no. so how did the, our 13-year-old dog respond? And our dog has grown up with cats. But when a cat, a new kitten, a crazy kitten named Groucho smoking a cigar comes into the house, you can only see it on that TikTok page. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'll have to put TikTok back on my phone. I had to, I deleted it because literally I would find myself sitting down to watch maybe five minutes of TikTok videos and then an hour and a half later, have, forcing myself to stop. It is an, an addictive platform. Yeah, I think, uh, the, I think the Betty Ford Center is a new wing for those addicted to TikTok. I don't know. It's it, it's crazy. So well, well. Thank you, Steve, so much. Uh, uh, and Wayne, thank you. Excellent column, Steve. You've been uh, very informative. I appreciate it, and I hope we can talk more and and have you back on on the show. And as always, we like to thank our listeners for uh, downloading our episode, for following us. We appreciate you all very much. Thanks for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can be instantly notified whenever Wayne has a new piece up. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast. <laughs>